right, folks, straight up, this is a content warning. Now, for those of you who actually need a content warning, switch off now. No judgment, just switch off. You probably do not want to hear this. I'll now give you 10 seconds of silence to take whatever device you're using and switch it off now. Now for those of you who want to know what the content is that you're being warned about, here are the subjects we will be discussing today. Drug use and abuse, domestic violence and abuse, childhood within a drug use household, child sexual abuse, addiction and alcoholism. Now folks, this episode is not for everyone, I assure you this is serious. If you are not in any current mental state to deal with any level of disturbing material, please switch off now. Alrighty, folks, you're listening to Talking Shit with Fraser, you bastard, the show about who the fuck knows, but hey, anything goes. Alright, folks, we have got another return visitor. We have Amanda again. How you going, Amanda? Oh, I'm not bad, babe. Not too bad. All right. So last episode that we spoke to you, obviously, folks, if you haven't actually heard Amanda's story before now, we are going to put a backlink there that you can go click to. I un- I believe me, I need to tell you this. You need to hear this story from the start, folks. This is fucking amazing. So uh, on the last one that we spoke, this was a, the second interview we had with Amanda. We were talking about, no, I think it was you were just getting a new bloke. Was it your marriage? I just met the man I was going to end up marrying. Ah, that's the one. And uh, if I understand, there were a few interesting stories that were about to come in there. <laughs> true crime uh, sort of stuff that... Uh... No, look, there wasn't a lot of crime because at that stage, um, I was pretty much clean. Mm-hmm. Um, we got married in March of 90 and he was a speedhead and I was a smacky and the two don't blend, oil and water. Really? Two don't blend. The two drugs don't blend at all. Okay. So you've got one lifestyle and, and a totally opposite lifestyle. So, so we call one an upper and one a downer. One a downer. Big... Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was never a, a speedhead. Never. Couldn't stand the stuff. And you either like one or the other. Right. And he was a full blown speedo. So it was. It's a little bit difficult in that way, but it was very beneficial for me too because my last hit was March the 7th, 1990. You remember the exact date? Yeah, it was the last day. It was something like four days or five days after I got married and that was my very last taste. I never touched it again. Good work. But that doesn't mean the cops forget how you who you are. No. So, you know, that sort of carries on for quite a while. Now I can, there's no record of everything's gone now. It's been so long. But, you know, I'd only got out of jail in 88. So by 90, they still knew who I was. My husband and I were in the car one day and he had his arm out the window and that was a big thing in the 80s. You couldn't do it. So the cops picked us up and they ran his name. He'd go to the car chatting with him, ran his names. The cops were all nice and sweet and wonderful and they've come over to me and asked my name and I've gone damn you know this is this is just not going to go well and I'd been clean I was clean you know I hadn't been using and you could see their whole demeanor changed and I think that was at that stage when my husband realized just who he'd married you know so he never knew about any of this he knew but people can say things 
you know what it's like. You can yes. say how gruesome it is to see a dead body or mm-hmm. to stab someone, mm-hmm. but until you actually do it, oh, God, there's a story I didn't tell you. Anyway, <laughs> until you do it, you don't really realise or until you see a dead body, it doesn't really strike, you know. Yes. So he didn't actually, um, it didn't hit him until he saw the cops hold demeanor change and they went into their stance and put their hands on their guns uh, yep. and yell at me to get out of the car and put my hands on the bonnet, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's, yeah, so... It's just the world I lived in. I mean, by then I was a respectable married woman. I hadn't done any more crime. I was clean as a whistle, but you do stuff and it, it carries with you, you Absolutely. know. It carries with you. It doesn't matter. And it, it was only such a short period of time, you know, after I'd been out of jail and it had no more charges. I had no, no more charges since September of 88 was my last criminal charge. So... But they were the, the guns, and once you have a gun charge, to this day I still can't go to America. Yeah. You know, not that I particularly want to, but it's not the point. <laughs> you know. Which is strange because America is so pro-guns. Guns. I know. <laughs> but if you've got drugs and guns, you, you, you can't get in there. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to go anyway, but it's just the point. All these, you know, 30, 40 years later, still can't go in. But, um, yeah. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. So I was thinking before, I should have said earlier before, the whole other thing when you're coming down off smack, your your brain does all sorts of strange things to you. I, I had one time when I was living with this guy, a guy. We were living together and we were both really in a bad way and he was just mentally pushing me. And um, I ended up, when I came, whatever my brain snapped, whatever happened, when I came to, I was on my back and he'd had a knife. I show, I put a knife through his, what's this part here? Just uh, above his heart, through the shoulder. Clavicle, so just yeah, there. through there. Through there. And I had no idea. And it was in. It was well in there. Ooh. you know. And I had no clue. So, And it was the same as when I committed suicide, tried to commit suicide, you know, all those times. Whatever the effect was of, of coming off the drugs, I my brain would switch off, you know. Different memory. Mm. Yeah, would just switch off and do some pretty horrendous things. But, um, yeah, so that was that was my husband's introduction. But there's a, this little scientific thing that happens that you can be clean for five years and you'll either stay clean which is rare, mm-hmm. or you'll go back to your drug of choice, or you'll pick up alcohol, and it's that five-year mark. Yep. I picked up alcohol. Okay. So I was living with a very abusive man. I'd had my second child, and she was just, just as awesome as my first child was, and I was determined not to screw her up like I had with my first child. Okay. Well, that didn't work out, oh, you know, while well, I was an alcoholic. Fraser, I was an alcoholic. My first daughter, she suffered from a smacky for a mum. I mean, hell, Fraser, my daughter was five years, well, she's six, five or six. She would walk out of the little place that I was staying in in Footscray. Now, we're talking a little girl. Mm -hmm. She would walk down to one of the cafes in Footscray, go up to the dealer that she knew, and there was many of them that she knew, hand them the money, 
take the drugs, bring it home, mix it up in the spoon, put it in the syringe and hand it to me. Oh, Jesus. The junkie mind is so warped. Yeah. The junkie mind is so warped. And and this is the the time frame, too, that I became to hate speed because I got involved with a a real fruitcake of a man, a real, oh, God, he was a nutter, absolute nutter. Anyway, just to tell you what drugs, you know, I've done to my kids, this is my first girl, and I won't give you too many details because she's probably going to want to listen to this, Um, but what he put her through, what he did to her, yeah. it's the most appalling what happened to my oldest daughter all because I was on speed. I spent 12 weeks on speed with this man. He was a speedhead. And when the cops finally pulled me in and finally got him because he shot his brother Oof. and the cops were called, oh, he was, he was a nutter. I'd go to Melbourne and work. We were up in a small town just outside of Melbourne and I'd go into Melbourne to work to make the money and stupid me left him in charge of my my little girl and I had no idea what was going on. I was just consuming wet speed. Speed does a totally different thing to your brain than smack does. You, you, You can be very much aware to a certain degree what's going on around you when you're smacked out. You're just a bit stoned, you know, or a lot stoned, however it is. Speed puts your brain into a whole different dimension when you use it prolonged and so much of it. When the cops finally got us, they, they said, how long do you think it's been? Because I, they were asking me questions and I was giving them these answers based on what had happened with my daughter at that house. Mm-hmm. And I was giving them a three-year timeline. Yeah. And they said, sorry, That's good. They, they said, Amanda, it's... um." It's only been 12 weeks. From here to here, it was only 12 weeks. So I really, and what happened to her, oh, to this day, she's 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 40 now and, and it's she's still very traumatised, you know, very, very traumatised, utterly traumatised. Yeah. So I went from doing that to one child to becoming an alcoholic with the other child, you know, yeah. and she's... She suffered for it. She's got some funny stories too. She'll quite happily tell you about the day I got so drunk that I pulled the whole lounge suite out into the driveway and just sat there drinking with the neighbours. And, you know, who pulls a lounge suite out of their house just to talk to the neighbours while you're drinking? We we were over at um, a friend's house one night and I had only had a can and she wanted to drive home. She wanted to go home, so I put her in my car and, and... drove down a little small road and we saw a car in front of us have an accident and run off the road and the guy got out of the car and run. So I just knew then the car was stolen. Of course. But what had happened was someone of the neighbours had called. I'd got out to try and find this guy thinking he must have been injured or something, you know, maybe he was okay. But by the time the coppers got there, because I was nearly hit by this guy, I had a can sitting in my lap as you do when you're driving in the 90s, oh, yeah. it had, the bourbon had gone everywhere, so I reached to high hell. Of course. Right? Um, so I'd had that one can, plus I was probably about halfway through that, so I was over the limit. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I blew over the limit, and I said, look, I have to get back. My husband's a nutter. 
I need to use the phone and call him. Sorry, you can do that when you get. And this went on for a good 20, 30, however long. I said, I have to, I have to. So I got back in my car. The cops hadn't handcuffed me or nothing. Mm. I just got, they wouldn't let me call. And here they are wanting to arrest me and take me to the police station and all sorts. So I just got, I said, screw it. Got back in my car and started driving. I was about driving about 15 kilometres an hour. I was driving real slow. And I had like 15 cars, cop cars behind me with their lights, no sirens, just their lights, because they knew I wasn't running. I was only doing 15, 20 kilometres an hour. Mm. And got back to the, they just followed me. I pulled into the driveway and my husband came out. He saw me come out with all these cop cars and he knew my history. This wasn't too long after the other cops with the guns. So he didn't know what the hell was going on. And he was a very violent man and he was absolutely maggoted drunk. So, yeah. Yeah, at that stage I was still protective of him. So when the cops go to get him because he smashed a cop in the face, I attacked the cop. And before you know it, your face planted into the blooming bitumen on the front. None of this is good for your child to see. No. You know. So she's got her own her own issues from having an alcoholic mother, but this is what addiction does, you know. My my first daughter is is traumatized. She suffers from PTSD, mm-hmm. chronic PTSD because of it. And all that goes along with that yeah. gave her mental illness, you know, my actions. Yeah. So it's it's None of it's none of it's easy on your family, you know. My mother locked herself away in her bedroom for two years. She wouldn't answer the phone. She wouldn't answer the door in case, because back then you still had telegrams. Yep. If she answered the door, you know, and I was using it, could have been a copper to tell you I was dead or a telegram to say I was dead. Hmm. Locked herself away in her bedroom and just read books for two years until my stepfather, and she had six more kids at home. Hmm. You know, until my stepfather eventually helped her to to come out and face the world again. But it affects everyone around you. I've, I've I've got a cousin who I found out years later was trying to understand and work out what was happening with her cousin. And I mean, I'd been off the streets for a while by then, but she found a book called "Don't Let Her See You Cry." Don't let her see me cry. Okay. It was a story of of a woman who did like 10 years in jail and, and she wasn't that really a user. She'd used a few times and it was very early on in her her journey to be using drugs, but she um, she went overseas and was a mule and got busted here in Australia and ended up in jail very early on in her, her drug-taking career. So she didn't end up taking drugs for a long time, but the first woman in Australia to get such a lengthy sentence. So, But she gave her story and that helped my family to understand it. But even a distant cousin that I didn't know very well was affected mm. by it, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's something else I nearly did. I nearly mulled. Really? Yeah, yeah, nearly did. And it was an interesting one. My, my girlfriend and I, I was living with this girl by that stage in a relationship with her um, and um, we had this dealer ask if we might be interested in making a bit of money so both of us went to this place in Croydon and sat down with him and a couple of other pretty scary dudes and they laid out their plan. Now I have to say it was quite an intriguing plan that they had mm-hmm. It involved, you know, scuba diving air tanks and I won't go any further, but stuff like that. And and we've gone, well, it's very interesting. And 
And I remember when I was growing up, I was still in primary school and there was two guys got caught overseas and they both got shot. Yeah. And that was huge. When you're in primary school and you're saying, and that kept sitting in the back of my mind, kept sitting there and sitting there and and we were going, yeah, yeah, this sounds like really good. Oh, yeah, we could do that. We can do that. But that night when everyone had got to bed, we climbed out the window and disappeared. ran yeah. because that kept it. These two blokes getting shot overseas really stuck in the back of my head. And I said, yep. no, this is just not worth This is not a crime I'm willing to take the risk to pay the price on. No. Just not willing to do it. So, but so, yeah, both of my daughters have, both of my kids, I had two kids, 10 years apart. Mm. I never took to motherhood very well. Mm. I don't. I I, I really do struggle with the concept of of, of being a maternal person, of, of, of showing love or knowing, understanding what love is. I don't quite get any of that I think my brain has has disassociated itself not quite disassociated itself but it's it's numb to a lot of things yes I think like I said I'm I'm when I came off all the drugs I I became highly overly mother lioness protective like a lot of mums are you know, and I'll, I'll put a knife through you if you went near my kid. And I think that was a lot because I failed my first daughter. So my second daughter got that. And, and now you touch my oldest daughter, even in her 40s, you upset my... And, and I just want to put a knife through you, you know. And, yes. and, and now because of my, um, my, my faith, I, I have to not think that way anymore. You know, with my, 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 my faith, I, I've had to do a lot of personality alterations so that sort of extreme way of dealing the way I used to deal with people yes um like the guy that hurt my oldest daughter ended up going to jail for it all and um, I knew a guy that was also going in so I had words with him Mm -hmm. and um that guy came out quite damaged Mm -hmm. quite damaged well, those sort of people are generally not well regarded in prison anyway, so it's uh, a little help along with that probably wouldn't have uh, been yeah. such a bad idea in my opinion. He certainly there was yep. wasn't the same man that, that, that went in. He was a lot more damaged. But, yeah, these things, they, they really affect... They affect everybody and everything and... and People think it's an easy journey. It's not an easy journey. It's, it's for, for your family and for those around you, it's not. And if you think that you can just try it once, like I said to you earlier, that we had that, me and like my girlfriend. Yeah, you can't just try it once. No, no, no. Like I said earlier, we were in the front of our car and this 15, 16-year-old arrogant boy in the back, oh, I could try it once, and we just turned around and punched the living daylights out of him. You know, you can't just, you, you can't. No. It's, it's not possible. Would you like me to read? My ex-husband went back to school when we were married. Okay. And he had to do an exam mm. and he had to do a paper. Yeah. And he decided to write this paper on me yep. and how I started. Well, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Using how yeah. I started using. So I'll read it for you if you like. Yes, please. And keep it in or. Yeah, I'll absolutely keep it in. Yeah, sure. Take it out. It's completely up to you. Mm-hmm. So... I'll read this collection. Take it out of the paper, out of the plastic. It's not easy. All right. That's called Hammer. Mm-hmm. 
which is uh, Hammer, for those listening at home, Hammer is a bit of a slang term for heroin yeah. in Melbourne. So, yes. Yeah. Um, here you go. They took me to a place called the Dark Room, a name one of the inmates called his bedroom. It was eerie inside. God, I'm shaking. Weird posters lined the walls. The atmosphere was accentuated by the dull, feeble glow from the blue fluoro tube. You remember he was writing an exam paper here for English. So it's quite embellished. <laughs> and also, for the folks listening at home, the blue fluoro tubes were something they started to install in the back of bus stops and bus stations yeah. to make sure that uh, heroin junkies could not actually find their veins. It their veins work. being blue doesn't work at all, it but that was, the, that was the idea behind it. <laughs> I mean, he's a junkie who deliberately put one in his room. Okay, get ready. The four of us climbed to the top bunk. Took a dessert spoon, water, and fit from somewhere behind it. The other three were as excited as I were. I looked across to find Gypsy gently smiling at me, slowly shaking his head. What's up, I asked. I'm envious, he replied with a glint in his eye. Your first stone is always the best. Paul produced a small folded foil from inside his jacket lining. Carefully opening of this revealed the white lady contained within you want to explain what the white lady is? Well, I'm going to assume it's heroin. Yeah. A, well, <laughs> you have to explain what things are. But, yeah, white lady is another word for heroin. Oh, really? Just be, yeah. Sorry. Was back in the 80s. I don't know what it is now. Mm. Just being there was enough to make my head spin, giving the illusion that the floor was open beneath the bunk and we were falling through space. A quarter of a gram of the white lady was placed in the base of the dessert spoon along with a small amount of water. And this is all true. This is what happened. It melted away on contact, dissolving in a matter of seconds. Now, that is where I get angry when I see television shows of people burning heroin with a lighter. You burn speed, you don't burn heroin in Australia. Gotcha. You don't have to. It just dissolves. Gotcha. Not a word was spoken. Full attention was focused on the now transparent fluid gently moving back and forward on the base of the spoon. I've never contemplated a situation like this. In fact, it was more like a dream than reality. I cast my mind back to the previous week when I first stepped off the overlander, which is the local train. Okay. Oh, there you go. There's the answer to your question you asked me before. How long was I in the rehab before I started using? One week. Oof. I was only 17. A single mum, and I was only 17, I said 19. A single mum to a one-year-old, desperately seeking accommodation. After exhausting all possible options, the welfare department housed us in a drug rehabilitation centre until other means became available. A lonely young girl in a rehab with 30 junkies. Wow, what a mix. Until Dad died, I had, I had a very sheltered life, having grown up in a small country town. The prospect of meeting these obviously very different people was quite compelling, and I was very naive. Having never met a junkie before, I found myself wondering, who are they? What are they all about? Why the big deal with drugs anyway? It all seemed so secretive, something no one ever talked about where I came from. To me, it was enveloped in a shroud of mystery, but with a sense of adventure, evoked with a great flow of excitement from deep within. Yet this sense of adventure oozed with the fear of the unknown further enhancing the excitement welling up inside me. 
It was like how you'd probably feel when standing in line for that first roller coaster ride, excited but scared. I felt nervous as I checked in. It wasn't until we were accepted by a circle of associates, you'd never call these people friends, that I realised even in rehab, drug, drugs circulated regularly. I guess it was this which provoked my inquisitive nature, sparking off all the questions I asked. Most were given satisfactory asking answers. Asking what it was like to be smacked proved the hardest for them to explain. They answered it in the easiest possible, try it, find out for yourself. Butterflies of excitement were stirring in my stomach. Anticipation of climbing aboard the roller coaster for the first time was overwhelming. Having seen the last passenger get off, satisfied and exhilarated, I didn't even hesitate. Casually, I replied, hell, why not? As though trying heroin was completely normal. A chunk of cigarette filter was added to the spoon and the liquid drawn up through it. I was now ready for my first hit. Roll up your sleeves, said Gypsy, tightly twisting an old tea towel. He put it around the top of my arm and pulled it firm. I could feel the blood surging through my arm. A vein all sat proud on the, of the surface. Gypsy took the fit from Paul and carefully held it upright lightly flicking the surface to displace air bubbles trapped inside the barrel. One more to go, he said, clearing the last of the air bubbles trapped inside, sorry, last clearing the last of the air. Okay, this will sting for a sec. Ready, he asked. I nodded. Slowly, the needle slid into the chosen vein. A brief resistance was felt while passing through the outer tissue. Then it penetrated with ease. A red plume of blood shot up to the centre of the barrel immediately on perforation of the vein. Got it, he said, releasing tension on the tourniquet. The plunger was pulled back slightly, then sent all the way home. Before he'd even removed the needle. It's okay, take your time. Warmth, like a flush of hot water, froze within me, starting with my feet gradually flooding its way up inside me, engulfing me totally. It became my complete lover. In a matter of seconds, momentarily, a taste came to the back of my throat. I vomited, yet it didn't feel like true vomiting. Somehow it was even nice, like swallowing warm water except in reverse. Everything was perfect then. I no longer felt anything of concern. I closed my eyes and felt myself drift, completely weightless in total peace and tranquility. I was at ease, physically and mentally void of all pain. It was incredible, absolutely unbelievable. There's no way of describing it. No other in the feeling could compete nor come close. Nothing could affect me. Nothing really matters except remaining like that forever. I lay back and languish in a peace of mind I had never felt before or imagined possible. All my life stresses and worries relinquished totally. I needed nothing else in my life. From that moment on, I was complete, completely numb, relaxed, totally calm. I wanted for nothing. I didn't want it to stop ever. How could I have known the anger, the agony yet to follow, the physical pain 
and mental torment of hanging out, the expense, the crime that ensured just for one more taste. How could I have realised the dangerous road I'd embarked on? There were few exits. That's a fucking amazing. Didn't he do a great job? That's phenomenal. Yeah, he did a brilliant job. He got really high marks on that, but, you know, it's true. It's all true. Well, Sorry, I was, I, a bit of I can tell it's Stop. true. You sort of uh, you, you brought you to tears. Sorry, uh, I haven't read it in years and years and years and years. I haven't read it. I don't think I've actually read it since he wrote it. Yeah, that's, in that's, the early eighties, nineties. Sorry. Yeah, that's fan. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. That's and uh, everyone, of course. Sorry, <laughs> keep, I just forgot for a second. This is actually a podcast. <laughs> I, I got right. very caught up in the moment. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I don't think I can even share the other one that I've got there. I think. No, that's fair enough. Look, it's um, we're, we're quite able to wrap it up now, if you'd like. Yeah, well. Yeah, that'd be fine. I think that's probably a good way to end it all, Fraser. I think I'm done. Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. It's so much appreciated. That's all right, my love. And, thank you. Uh, for... Thank you for sharing everything you've shared with me today. I really, really super appreciate. I hope it. someone can learn. I, I hope people have more of an understanding of how you get there and and why you get there and and how to help their kids and talk to their kids more. Yeah, that'd be great. I actually personally now have a better understanding because I. I... Uh, forever today, growing up without that sort of, uh, you know, obviously situation in life, I'd always sort of seen junkies and just gone, how can you do it to yourself? You know, the first one is going to be your last one and you sort of, you never get a real understanding of uh, what can really cause that yeah. shit. And I uh, thank you very much for That's giving me that pleasure. understanding. That's my thank pleasure. You. My pleasure. Right, doll. I'll talk to you later. Much appreciated. So, look, I'll just uh, wrap this up quickly. Yep. Uh, no worries. Folks, you're listening to Talking Shit with Fraser, you bastard. Uh, thank you for listening. Of course, click the like, click the subscribe. And if you'd like to hear more, um, well, obviously, you know, share it with friends, do what you've got to do. Amanda, thank you so much. My pleasure, Fraser. You take okay. care. I'll catch you soon.